This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 66. In this week's episode, we will be covering the following articles. First, GameStop's woes deepen as revenues crash. Second, Might and Magic Chess Royale is an auto battle royale from Ubisoft. And finally, Epic Game Store tops $680 million in player spending. On the podcast today, we have myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, and Eric Kress, and we do have a number of really quick updates as well. Adam? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> there's been a lot actually happening in the last week. So instead of um, us having to cover every single one of these articles in the detail, I thought we'd just do a quick update of just the headlines. So um, big headlines from this week. First one is Healthy China 2030 uh, includes a crackdown on games considered violent, pornographic, or promoting gambling. Uh, Witcher 3 hits new peak player record on Steam in wake of Netflix show, as well as thanks to JK's comments. Well, also, uh, I, I downloaded it myself. I, I, haven't, I never played Witcher 3. I played only Witcher 2. So I, I was actually really impressed with it. I got to get back into it. I just haven't had time this week. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely by far the best Witcher. That is a freaking time sink, though, man. You could just tell, dude. Like, this is like yeah. a never-ending <laughs> oh, yeah. hodgepodge yeah. of crap to do. Just yeah. wait until you're picking flowers so you can finally build the sword you want. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. See, that's actually, you know, I'll be honest. That's what loses me when, when, when uh, like, Far Cry, when you have to, like, start collecting things around the world in order to build a freaking better backpack. You know, like, that's when it loses me. You know, that's why yeah. I really like Far Cry 5 because... They basically streamlined all that crap, and it wasn't 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 necessary. Yeah, yep, no, completely. Um, <laughs> uh, next one, GTA Five, named number one top selling game of the decade from NPD. That's U.S. only. Uh, Google promising 120 new games, um, including time ten timed exclusives uh, for Stadia in 2020. Wait, do we um, think this is any big deal at all? Because I get I got a few comments or questions from clients about this. But we think that the 120 new games, so it probably will be a lot of back catalog stuff, right? Yeah, well, the yeah. majority of it will be. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm not worried about that because all no one plays catalog games, as I said a million times. But like, what is the 10 time exclusives? Like, what could that even be? Exactly. Like, who did they sign? I mean, is this like indie stuff? If it's more guilt, then yeah, it won't do anything. Um, if they. Managed to change everything from last year in terms of getting better signed developers, maybe, but I, I haven't heard any news. I'm assuming they would have put up some news around who the timed exclusives would be if they were big. Yep, 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 yep. Anyways, uh, CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 is delayed to September. Um, Ubisoft is overhauling the central whoa, whoa, editorial whoa, whoa. team. Hold what? on a minute. 
dude, that's a big that's a big freaking deal, dude. That well, in my world, that's actually bad for everybody, particularly for CD Projekt. And I don't think people realize how bad that is, right? Because then now they're competing not only with the big big boys coming out in holiday because we don't know what they are yet but like assassin's creed and you know, call of duty whatever mm-hmm. else comes from ea they're also competing against the uh next gen consoles you know people might want to wait right a little bit like it kind of like it could deflate there particularly if they continue to delay it any further than that um and then on top of that they announced that they're their online play is not, it's going to be two years out from launch, dude. No one is going to be playing that game in two freaking years, you know? This, this is exactly what's going to happen, what happened with Red Dead, dude. Exactly. And I don't think this thing is tracking even close. From my understanding, it's not even close to what Red Dead is tracking. I, I actually think, I mean, my prediction is this is going to be a huge, profound disappointment um, across the board for a lot of people, uh, particularly investors. But uh, anyway, moving on. Also, isn't Final Fantasy VII, isn't that delayed a bit as well? Did I read that somewhere? Yeah, it is. Uh, so both Square Enix titles, what was it? Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, and what was the other game that was slated to come out this year by Square Oh, the Avengers game. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, next quick update. Ubisoft is overhauling its central editorial team that advises all of its productions. Um, due to Division Two and Ghost Recon's performance in 2019, uh, the CEO blamed that on lack of differentiation internally. That they were essentially creating the same game over and over again. Uh, we covered this, I think, in detail in a lot of podcasts before. Uh, and a quick self-serving news update: uh, Deconstructor Fund predictions are slowly coming out uh, this week. Puzzle and Arcade were posted. Big headlines from there were predicting the sale of Peak Games. Um, App Eleven IPO coming in 2020 and Playrix uh, Leapfrogging King. Uh, this week we have scheduled RPG and shooter uh, genre predictions, um, and then I think in the following week we've got casino strategy, auto chess, um, and one actually on user acquisition. All in the works. Wow, that is quite a bevy of information. Yep, doing your job for you, Eric. Yes. Um, all right, my next update is uh, around the Veronica Rogers thing last week. So I spoke to a bunch of people about this and actually got some inbound <laughs> texts and stuff about this. Um, and I, I, honestly, the majority of it response was like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, this is crazy. Like, this is a bizarre hire for this time, like nine, ten months before the uh, launch of the next console. Um, and hiring such an inexperienced exec for that kind of job is seems folly at best and and i think um the one point of clarification people made that i was not really that aware of at the time is that this is not a marketing role per se i mean i think she's kind of in charge to some degree but it's more of a a a publishing ops role and it's basically a worldwide role that is going to manage uh both north america europe and japan launch and uh What's crazy about that is that there's such unique things about Japan, North America, and Europe that this is like an impossible uh, solve, right? So this is like a Rubik's Cube with no solve possible, right? There's no way you can coordinate the three different regions and and make and do a successful like simultaneous launch. It's it's, it is impossible. From everyone I've talked to, 
impossible. So she's basically putting be put put in, into an impossible situation. So in essence, the only way she could be really successful is if she really maintains the autonomy of the three different territories and how they market and, and, and bring this thing to market. But then what's the purpose of the role then, right, to some degree? So anyway, one guy basically said to me, she's going to be eaten alive. And, and in a year and a half, she's going to be out of there because these guys are like super, the guys she's talking about or, or managing are super veteran Sony guys that have been there forever. And they're going to, they're like, he used the word like vipers that are going to eat her alive type thing. So anyway, it's good that I'm not the only one that's kind of a little bit perplexed by this move. I mean, I'm hoping the best. And frankly, I don't know how much it matters given Sony's uh, positioning in the marketplace, but uh, it, it's it's just a crazy kind of tone deaf type thing that I don't really understand exactly what the hell they're thinking. But moving on. Yep. Uh, I wanted to give an update from Twitch. So there's been a game since the new year called Escape from Tarkov that has actually jumped to number three uh, overall on Twitch, beating up Fortnite, GTA Online, Dota 2, CSGO, which of course is impressive and we should all be taking note. Uh, while it had an initial spike, it's actually dropped a little bit, but it's actually still sustaining at that number three spot, which is amazing, um, especially given all the how this game is actually developed. It's a Russian indie developed game. It's a premium only game you can only purchase it it's three years old um, it's currently in open beta still early access it's pc only and it's a shooter it's actually not even available on steam you have to actually go to the super awkward website to buy it um, so given all of these all of these issues it's also had a lot of negative controversy on top of this um, the developer actually has said that they will not add any female playable characters because women can't handle that amount of stress. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, the small team is slow to fix its terrible netcode. Um, it's actually making PlayStations very unstable, um, as well as the dev has been caught influencing takedowns on YouTube videos uh, that criticize the game. As well, on a live stream, uh, a dev from the team actually feigned suicide by pointing a real uh, thankfully empty gun at his head and actually pulled the trigger. So it, this game is just caught on in terms of crazy negative controversy, but it's just exploded in terms of popularity. Um, the obvious case of the spike is actually that key influencers have picked up the game. So uh, Shroud, Dr. Disrespect, Lupo are all major influencers for core shooter fans. Um, so I would say like less, like not Fortnite, but more like Apex Legends, CSGO. Um, and they're actually actively playing right now. Um, that was definitely the tipping point, but it's definitely more interesting to look at what the buildup was because I think common sense would imply that like, the more casual a shooter can be, um, it has the capability to actually open up the, the, the wider free-to-play market. The more people can play, the more your art style appeals to a wide audience, the bigger your game can be. Uh, but this game actually directly counters that intuition. Um, it is a hardcore shooter with an incredibly high skill cap and a very, very complex economy. Um, the game actually has hardly any UI. You actually have to count the number of bullets that you fire from your clip and remember so you can reload. Um, if you have a quick reload thing, your actual, like your bullets will fall on the ground. You need to make sure you pick them up. Um, if you get shot in certain locations, it'll actually impact you in different ways. So, for example, if you get shot in the arm, it's actually going to take you longer to aim. Um, this is definitely the most hardcore shooter that I've ever played, even more hardcore than something like PUBG or Arma. 
Um, I'm still learning, so uh, listeners, please let me know if I'm getting something wrong here. Um, there's elements of idle. You can actually run a Bitcoin farm when you're not playing. There's an in-game market uh, where you can sell between uh, vendors. There's a crazy Diablo-style inventory system um, where you're constantly looting other players and having to, to um, try to fix or move your, maneuver your, your equipment inside of your uh, limited inventory space, as well as an incredibly deep value item value system. So actually trying to figure out the strategy of which items to pick up is actually not that simple. But from my situation, enough details around this, I find the economy incredibly interesting because the game is about dropping into the map, looting and surviving as much as you can, and then reaching an ex exit point to take out your loot. Based on what you've taken out, it allows you to actually craft and sell your rewards to improve your loadout for subsequent rounds. But if you're killed in the round, you lose what you're holding, giving all your loot to the killer. So this is actually... I would say like a, a progression from where we've seen from Battle Royales. You actually have a progression economy outside of it and one that players can actually lose progress if they don't play well. Um, so for me, that this is an incredibly interesting game. Um, I'm actively following this game because if it sustains on Twitch and if, and if the player count sustains, this could definitely have ripple effects in terms of how multiplayer shooter games are designed moving forward. Cool, and one final quick update here is on Teamfight Tactics, which is coming to mobile devices in mid-March. So as covered by Polygon, after blowing up on PC and Twitch, Teamfight Tactics will arrive on mobile then, which is mid-March. Riot also announced they would be making a lot of improvements cater to mobile platforms, although just kind of listening to what they were doing, it seemed like it was not just about mobile platforms, but just making the game better. But the message here is that they don't intend to make the mobile version just a straight-up PC port. Anyway, as many of you in the audience, we're definitely looking forward to it. And maybe we can also get somebody from Riot to talk about it after the launch. All right. And now, jumping right into the articles. Eric? All right. GameStop's woes deepen as revenue crash, revenues crash this holiday. Um, every year, GameStop reports holiday sales at this time. And this year was a doozy. Uh, overall sales for the quarter were down 25%. And the key stat that most retail analysts are looking at is same-store sales were also down 25%, which is horrendous. You know, some of the financial portfolio columnists said uh, in Seeking Alpha, they said, the company faces challenging existential questions. Downloading video games does away with the need for GameStop altogether. <laughs> and Motley Fool said, GameStop could very well be among the next wave of old school retailers filing for bankruptcy protection. Um, so I'm probably, I'm sure that most of the people in the audience, I think has been following this story for quite a while now, but uh, if you have not the last four years, uh, you know, the stock was around like 40 to 50 bucks uh, four years ago. And it was driven by strong software and hardware sales and accessory sales as well from these, uh, these, this current generation of consoles. And now the stock is hovering around five bucks. Um, and what happened was fundamentally, there was a, just a, a huge challenge for them regarding digital shale, sales, right? So digital share was, is hovering around 50% of all sales in calendar 19 North America versus only about 10% four years ago. And so when you see a digital sale out there, GameStop not only loses share from new software perspective, but they lose all their user inventory. Right. And that's used inventory is basically their bread and butter. That's the only way they stay in business is with the used game sales. Um, and 
when you take inventory out of the market for used, the model just doesn't work. And what's really remarkable about this, this digital transition was it was almost completely organic, meaning publishers and hardware manufacturers were in a lurch. They couldn't actually promote and push digital sales because they didn't want to piss off you know, Walmart, Target, and Best Buy, as well as GameStop. So instead, it just was basically users discovering digital sales and converting almost instantaneously. And I think most of you guys are thinking, well, that's obviously, you know, it's so much better to do digital, but it wasn't like that. You know, a lot of people were like hooing and hawing about not owning the license or not owning the game itself and like worried about not having a disc, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, the, um, the only person that was kind of aggressive about this was EA. EA was kind of pushing this from the get-go. Um, and so as being the biggest publisher, they had kind of more of that um, clout to be able to do that. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the other issue with GameStop fundamentally is that they really haven't closed that many stores, which is kind of what Tower Records and uh, Blockbuster and Toys R Us, all these other ones that have been kind of destroyed by digital have done. And part of the reason is that even some of their underperforming stores may be the stores that are actually providing a lot of used inventory. And so they're kind of caught in this catch-22 that they start closing those stores, then their inventory for their higher-performing stores goes down. Um, there was a rumor last year about some private equity buying the company, but that seemed unlikely given, you know, basically their terminal value is probably zero. So you can't really justify any price if you don't think that their value of their business is, uh, is sustainable for very long. But what I would like to say about these guys, and I think what's kind of misunderstood, is that Paul Rains and Daniel DeMatteo, I can never pronounce his name, um, and the rest of the exec teams were literally the retail OGs, man. These guys were amazing, and they created an amazing business. You know, their marketing organization, which I think was led by Darren Smith, but I'm not really sure. Um, I got I to gotta check up on that. But they created this power-up reward system, which uh, fueled their amazing buy-sell-trade model that created really a dominant force in game retail. I mean, they were competing with the big boys, right, against Target, Walmart, Best Buy. And they were pulling 50 to 60% share on week one, week two game sales uh, during their heyday. And it was basically driven by amazing, um, the amazing programs that they created, but also the management team was, was fantastic at, at putting this together. But unfortunately, digital was kind of inevitable, and there's really nothing they could do as a retailer and their core competency as a retailer to really combat the market forces. Um, and they tried to divest. They created, you know, a mobile business. They created, you know, they bought the collectibles business. But nothing really beats the 50% margins on used business, which drove their business. So I think it's an interesting story, and it's not quite as one way as you might think that they didn't react fast enough. I mean, there is some truth to that, and, and Joe and I were discussing it before the podcast, but ultimately, they were doomed once the boxes got connected to the internet, right? I mean, ultimately, that, that is what the story is, and no matter how well they ran their retail operations, it's just like you can't compete losing share from 10% to 50% in four years, right? That's, you know, it's just hard for any management team to move that fast and move out of there what their core competency is. So. You know, where, where do we go from here? I think ultimately they got to start closing stores uh, in a significant way to reduce uh, SG&A burn. Um, but I think it will be a long, drawn-out process before they actually 
end up going bankrupt. Um, and they may be able to survive in some fashion for kind of a long time because ultimately digital will grow from like the 50% it is now probably will cap out like 70 to 75% and retail will stay somewhat relevant during holiday time period and, 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 and in general, like over the year. So we will, we'll see what happens to them. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. I mean, they helped build this business to some degree. Um, they were like one of the centerpieces of the console business for years. Um, so seeing them kind of their demise, and you know this is also a victim of the of the nature of the business going to more core, right? And you know I've always said this: the tar- the demographic has, has shrunk in this business, and and a lot of these guys are just much more willing to adopt a digital transaction versus you know the more mass market Nintendo fan or, um, you know you know the Wii fans back in the day. So anyway, we'll see what happens with them. Uh, but yeah, digital will keep you know destroying the only thing that in their business that really made the most the made money which was the used business yeah I, I agree with you eric in the sense that i agree that they were you know amazing operators but certainly terrible innovators and i will say after playing my xbox one s all digital that i got about a week ago and playing for the past week to me it's super clear this just make absolutely no sense. I mean, I've got a closet full of hundreds of discs for my PlayStation and my Nintendo Switch, but just playing with the Xbox, it just it's such a better experience and, and it's certainly the future. And so I agree that the digital transition will cap out in the short term, really due to like console man- manufacturers like Sony and Nintendo not embracing digital the way Microsoft has. But if the option was there, you got to think there really isn't a cap that, you know, I could see it going to 99% digital super fast. I just think that consume, this is uh, to your point, this is what consumers want. And if it's there, I I think it goes all the way. And we have talked about GameStop before in the past. And this was another of those predictions from last year that we got right in terms of private equity shop, acquiring it and that kind of thing. But I think the point here is that these guys aren't Netflix, you know, they, they don't have a management team like a Netflix or Amazon. And so for them, this was their business. They can't innovate their way out and just got to think it's, it's game over for GameStop. Unfortunately, I actually wouldn't be surprised to see them go out of business sooner rather than later, just depending on their financials and kind of where their, where their business is. So really, I think to save the company, it requires a visionary leader requires like a Reed Hastings from Netflix or a Jeff Bezos type guy and George Sherman, their new CEO from last April so far does not seem like he knows what to do. And he seems to be another one of these operational tactics types of guys. And so in this case, it's really going to require that type of management or game over basically, in my opinion. Adam? Yeah. I'm just glad that you've picked up the Xbox One S so you can finally stop talking about Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't have much more to say. Like, uh, um, I, I think it's been interesting with the new CEO where, yeah, everything has been around reducing costs. There, is, there has been no more hope around divesting, around mobile divesting to, to any other side business. It's pretty clear that they're just riding it down now. But I also would just quickly, like, you know, Nintendo and accessories there's a lot of things that they sell that that will not likely be moving as quickly to digital as as microsoft and sony and they can survive in 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 a, in a certain way and this next hardware launch actually might be a a boon for them to some degree so some people are expecting that although i've been warning them 
to stay away. But uh, yeah, but on the accessory side, that's where you know Amazon and eBay you can get stuff for so much cheaper there relative to GameStop. Yeah. Yes and uh, yes and no. I mean, it's it's lower margin business, but it's higher than uh, sometimes higher. It's definitely higher than hardware. Like, um, yeah. Sorry. I mean, I literally just got my my headphones that I was showing you earlier. Eric, yeah. I, that was sixty five dollars at GameStop. I bought it for forty dollars on eBay. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> eBay, really? What yeah, are you on eBay for? <laughs> because it was cheaper. Uh, wait, like you you bid on eBay. Like 2001 no, bidding like, on eBay? Okay. And I didn't even have to look for it, basically. Like I did a search on Amazon and then my little browser plugin said, buy it here for eBay for cheaper. Wow. Yep. Might and Magic Chess Royale is an auto battle royale from Ubisoft. Um, so quick summary, Ubisoft has announced an auto chess style game with the Might and Magic, Might and Magic IP. Um, the innovation is that the rounds can actually last as little as 10 minutes since the rules are actually much more like a battle royale. Players are now on their own and can get knocked out pretty quickly. Um, this means that also, instead of being just against eight opponents, you're against 99. Um, this deals with a major issue uh, that auto chess games have, where rounds typically taking 30 to 40 minutes each, um, and sometimes the victor being pretty clear um, by about three quarters. I'd be curious how they can kind of keep that long-term buildup and strategic synergy um, that's actually really important for this genre, given that you can kind of get knocked out that early. Um, but it's currently in soft launch. Um, you can't really play it yet. Um, but it looks like it's in closed testing period for now. Um, myself, thinking strategically about the auto chess space, Riot is already really dominant with an extremely player-friendly monetization scheme. So going after them directly with the exact same monetization scheme it seems impossible just because the, the scale you need seeing like the RPD numbers that we see on mobile the scale you need to actually reach any sort of successful metric here is, is pretty impossible to reach. Um, so I think it's too late to go directly after team fight. The only path now is to rethink the genre and actually fix the monetization issues. So leaning more into like a trading card game or CCRPG model um, and try to open up a, an opportunity that can target a, a large enough audience along its side. So I think Ubisoft's attempt here feels like it's going directly against team fight tactics with the only innovation being kind of that might and magic IP in the Royale setup, which to me, that Royale setup could easily be added as a mode by Riot. And I don't think the might and magic IP is strong enough to pull the audience absolutely needed here, especially considering the matchmaking needing 100 players. So overall, this feels like a fast follow from Ubi that unfortunately was just not fast enough against Riot. Yeah, I want to give Ubisoft the benefit of the doubt here, but if uh, Riot, Blizzard, Tencent, and Valve can't make money on these games, I'm not sure Ubisoft can pull it off with Might and Magic IP. Um, and it seems very reactionary. And maybe a good way of getting the brand out there if it's a good game, and maybe it's kind of a marketing tool, because uh, the production values look high and the, and the character art, the character stuff looks cool. But uh, it doesn't look like it's in public beta yet. I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't see where it was on on Sensor Tower. Like, um, but you know, maybe we'll, we'll pl download it, play it, and see uh, if they've innovated in any way on the monetization design. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I only have a quick note here, which is that we should definitely add this to our soft launch list of games to try out once it uh, does become more publicly available. And I, I think one of my old friends from Fun Plus may be the lead game designer in this game. So if, if that winds up being the case, I'll ask him to 
to, to jump on the podcast with us uh, once, once it does become publicly available. And moving on to our last article, Epic Game Store tops 680 million in player spending. And so Epic Games announced an update on the performance of their Epic Games Store that launched back in December of 2018. And they announced that the, the store so far has generated 680 million in revenue from 108 million PC customers. Note, however, that the majority of that spend was actually for Fortnite. So on the third-party PC games, the spend was actually 251 million. Uh, the article also notes later that there were nine exclusive to PC third-party titles in their most popular list, which included World War Z, Satisfactory, Dauntless, Untitled Goose Game, Outer Worlds, Borderlands 3, Metro Exodus, The Division 2, and Control. The article also noticed, noted that Epic has been delivering on CEO Tim Sweeney's promise of offering one free game every two weeks throughout 2019, and in fact surpassed that target by providing 73 free games to players that have been downloaded 200 million times altogether. So that part's quite impressive. Epic further announced that they will continue this program of a free game every two weeks throughout 2020. So my take on this is that just looking at the store, uh, in addition to the premium and exclusive titles, there are a bunch of other popular titles like Jedi Fallen Order, Detroit Become Human, MechWarrior 5. The majority of those games are $59.99, but let's say on average they are $50 for the most popular titles. And let's take that down, just kind of doing rough math to $30 for global pricing. Then that would mean that if we're talking units sold, then that's about eight minutes. 8 million units or less, depending on how much free-to-play revenue there is, as we discussed last week, which is probably a big disappointment. So just to put units sold in context, again, 180 million PC customers, 200 million free games downloaded, but probably, you know, certainly something that would be 8 million units or less pushed to the store for all the third-party titles. And just looking at the store, I do think they could significantly improve the store, but maybe there's something else at play here as I would have expected more units to be pushed through the store. And Adam and Eric, I don't know how, how much you guys have looked at this, but I mean, it feels on the face of it that Epic are kind of doing all the right things, offering a shit ton of free games, PC exclusives. And, you know, as a guy, you know, I personally own 228 games in my Steam library. And so at least from my own personal perspective, I can say that a $5 discount on any other store and I'll be there. I'm jumping there instead of Steam. So to all the guys who are, who are arguing about this library value thing, at least from, for me, that's pretty worthless to me. And then on the store side, I feel both Steam and Epic could improve a lot by just having stronger product management. And really just studying the shit out of Amazon or even Netflix or, or actually even GameStop. I mean, Amazon does tell, sell a ton of shit for a reason, but the feeling I get when I look at Epic stores, they, they want to be a store without really being a store. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And I do think the other future threat for these guys is probably going to be Microsoft. So just again, playing around with the all digital Xbox one for the past week, I think it really feels like Microsoft Store is about a half jump away from being a PC launcher as well. Uh, uh, there is a PC launcher version of the. Oh, there is. A, <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah. My sense is like I I don't know if this store is actually working as intended. I don't think 
as you said, I don't think Epic is really kind of a store. It's kind of a just a portal of some sort. It's not like a destination per se. And I do think a lot of these uh, games are not performing as well as they had hoped um, across the ecosystem. And I said last time, I said, and I think this is uh, true, is that it's far more important for publishers to get people buying their games than you know getting these huge Epic checks from Epic. And so they're looking for, you know, publishers are looking for long-term customers, not monetizing on a one-time check, you know? So what I think we'll see is they may get some exclusives for some indies, but I think most of the AA and AAA guys will do either timed exclusives or no exclusives at all um, and just use it as another platform, as a means of, of distribution uh, and to complement or expand their existing distribution. And so like a deal, you know, the deal that EA signed with, with Valve, right, where Valve is basically going to be selling all of their games on their thing again, on their system again. Uh, this is something that may happen with Epic and maybe is one of my predictions for the year is that EA will bring not only their products to this platform, but perhaps, and, and most likely along with that, they will bring origin subscriptions. So as I said last time, it's like publishers win when they have tons of opportunities in terms of distribution, whether it's retail whether it's Xbox, PlayStation, Sony, I mean, sorry, Nintendo, Steam, Epic, blah, 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 et cetera. Like that's win-win for the publishers. Uh, so, you know, maybe Epic has made its footprint and will become a, a destination. But I think the days in which they're going to be getting super amazing exclusives is likely over. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of my prediction for the next 18 months. Um, yeah. Okay. If, I think that's it, unless there's any other concluding comments from you, Adam, or anything else. We're basically done. Sounds good. Yes, yeah. let's move on with our Sundays. I have a six hours of volleyball to go watch today, and I'm uh, very excited. Not to mention, my daughter and their team is getting annihilated, so <laughs> it's not going to be a fun six-hour romp. I'll tell you that much. All right. All right. See you all later. Bye. See you.